So, Ryan McGee, the ACC men's basketball tournament is happening in Greensboro, North Carolina, and this is your account. You are a lifetime North Carolinian, our ambassador to the state. And so what do you think of when you think of this time of year? Oh, it's everything. You know, when you grow up in North Carolina, particularly on Tobacco Road, where I spent most of my childhood, and you know, in the 80s, young Pablo, mm. they would roll the TV card in. So the ACC tournament <laughs> back then, it's at the Greensboro Coliseum or it's at the Omni in Atlanta. And, you know, Friday, you got four games, and at noon, they're rolling the TV card into the classroom. Oh, wow. And we're doing nothing. <laughs> Wait, I got Jurassic Park. You got, you got what, Duke Carolina. You got all got, of well, them. And, at, and at noon, I got, I got Clemson Wake Forest. <laughs> and it's Jefferson Pilot. And you then you go into the if if your principal was really awesome and mine was, you went into the cafeteria lunch, and there were TVs. Every TV from the AV department was in the cafeteria. So that that's what the ACC tournament is: sitting in the cafeteria, watching Ralph Sampson and Michael Jordan, Sam Perkins, and the 1983 NC State Wolfpack. It was the greatest. It was what was why I love college basketball. So for me, that is what the ACC tournament at the Greensboro Coliseum is. It's those names that I grew up with. But then, as an adult at ESPN, with the opportunity to work on you know great stories and meet fascinating people, when I go to the Greensboro Coliseum now, uh, I think about Scott Park. Now, you have probably never heard of Scott Park. No. And that's okay. Um, But there's also a pretty good chance that you laughed at Scott Park. He was not a basketball player. He was just a basketball fan. And it was eight years ago, the 2015 ACC tournament. And he won a contest and was the lucky fan who was selected to have an all-expenses-paid trip to the ACC tournament. And not only that, he had a half-court shot for a million bucks. Scott, when you are ready, take your shot for $1 million. So this template I am familiar with, it's it's that scene where I don't think I've ever rooted against that guy. It's almost like this galvanizing thing where, yes, the guy takes a half-court shot with a chance to win a ton of money. A million dollars, by the way, is extreme, I think, in the history of this contest. <laughs> but But how does this one go? This is why I say that you probably laughed at Scott Park because it went horrible. Uh, It was one of the worst half-court attempts I've ever seen, maybe the worst anyone's ever seen. The ball barely got to the foul line. Mm. The crowd at the Greensboro Coliseum let out a groan. And here we were at really kind of the, the beginning of the hugeness of social media. And uh, as we, we, we become used to social media being, uh, everyone being a pinata, right? And this was the first, one of the first moments I remember where it just got completely out of hand. Yeah, this is 2015. Yeah. And so how does this hit the internet? Who is the, 
who is the person responsible for, for posting it then? A really good friend of mine, Ryan Fagan mm. of the Sporting News. He is smart. He's talented. He's funny. Got a little bit of snark, as we all have to have to be a sports writer. And uh, Ryan Fagan was there that day for the Sporting News, uh, sitting courtside, and he recorded this moment, this awful half-court shot with his phone. I looked out there and saw that they were going to do a half-court shot, and I thought, people love half-court shots. I'll try to get a guy making a shot for a million dollars. That'll be great. It'll get a couple views. And then when he missed the shot, I thought, well, that wasn't what I was going for, but people like that too. And he posted it to, this is how long ago this was, he posted it to Vine. Oh, I, this is making me nostalgia now for old media. I miss Vine. Everybody does. My daughter's 18. She watches old Vines on YouTube. But, <laughs> but Vine, when it is at its best, is amazing. Vine, like any social media, when it's at its worst, is the worst. And uh, within just a, a short amount of time, Ryan Fagan realized that this vine had been viewed thousands of times. Pretty quickly it went viral. Um, I mean, it was within two minutes that I realized it was going to be a big deal. By the end of the evening, it had been viewed hundreds of thousands of times. By the next week, it had been viewed millions of times. And none of the comments that followed uh, were great. It was, uh, you know, bro, you must not have wanted that money. Uh, bro, why'd you even try? Yeah. Uh, bro, why are you even there? No, there's a cruelty here that is endemic to the internet. We know it. And Vine, again, for the kids out there, it is a platform that would endlessly loop these six-second videos. And so, McGee, you went to go tell the story of this man who was trapped in that meme for E60. And it does sound like your brain is also still in a loop thinking about Scott as well. I think about it because we're all in such a rush, right? To post something on social media. Yes. To post a six seconds of a man's life that is quite honestly designed to humiliate him. And the comments certainly were designed to humiliate him. But then... When you start digging, as Ryan Fagan did, and then as we did, um, you realize that that six seconds, you know, was it worth posting? I don't know. But the story of Scott Park was absolutely worth posting. So I'm not going to mince words here. The most embarrassing attempt at a half-court shot that I've ever seen probably does belong to Scott Park, an ordinary, everyday sort of sports fan that you undoubtedly have never heard of before. But today, Ryan McGee tells us a college basketball story that is about so much more than college basketball and so much more than Scott's attempts and even more than the social media response that he got. It's about the limits of science and storytelling and ourselves. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Thursday, March 9th. This is ESPN Daily. So, McGee, the feature that you had produced for E60 back in 2016, it had the title, appropriately, The Rest of the Story. And again, Scott Park, middle-aged guy, normie, going 
super virally famous back in 2015 for just messing up epically. This attempt at winning a million dollars via half-court shot, it, it all leads you to go and figure out what else was underneath this this sort of viral headline. And so, yeah, let's start at the beginning, I suppose. What is the rest of, of Scott Park's story? Scott Park was an amazing person. He's just a guy. You know, he's a big sports fan. Uh, grew up in Wilmington, North Carolina. Grew up on 1970s Tobacco Road basketball. Mm. So you're talking about, you know, th- this is David Thompson. You know, who was Michael Jordan before Michael Jordan? Yep. Um, you know, th- this was this was a, a phenomenal era of basketball. Dean Smith was rising to power. You know, Duke made a run to the Final Four. Uh, Hawkeye Whitney was was everyone's <laughs> favorite basketball player at NC State, and that is where Scott ended up going to college. Yes, he went to Tar Heels basketball camp, but once he set foot on campus in Raleigh, uh, you know, he became Wolfpack red and white through and through. I grew up as a little Carolina kid. I went to Dean Smith's basketball camp three years in a row. I learned a lot of stuff there. When I decided to go to NC State, that was it. Go Wolfpack from then on. He's so relatable. You know, and for me, sitting down with him in his kitchen in Norfolk, Virginia, I had grown up in Raleigh. I had grown up an NC State fan. Right. I had stood in line for Hawkeye Whitney's autograph. And sitting in the kitchen with this guy, I'm like, this could be anyone. He, he, could, he could be everyone I have known growing up. When I think about this generation of NC State fan, it's hard not to think of Jim Valvano. Uh, where, where does he figure into Scott's sort of arc as, as a fan here? Well, in 1983, uh, Scott had, had finished up at NC State as a student. Um, but he met Ellen. And uh, Ellen was a Tar Heel, but he loved her anyway. And uh, I joke with Scott, you know, in North Carolina, that's what we call a mixed marriage, right? This is a Tar Heel wearing a Wolfpacker, uh, yeah. and, and that's how much they loved each other. The only problem is when we have to uh, play each other. There's been many games where I'm upstairs and he's downstairs when it's a State Carolina game playing. That's a mixed marriage is what we call that. That's exactly right. <laughs> Yo, how's, that, how's that going? Uh, it's working out pretty well. She's, uh, she has a lot of qualities that overcame where she went to school. But the year they were married, 1983, is the year that Jim Valvano's cardiac pack uh, pulled off what I still believe is the greatest run in the history of the NCAA tournament, which is when they won the national championship, had to win the ACC tournament to get into the NCAA tournament, and then defeated Houston, Hakeem Olajuwon, and you know, five slamma jamma, um, Clyde Drexler, mm-hmm. and beat them in the national championship with, of course, the famous Lorenzo Charles Dunk. This is right when Scott's getting married to Ellen. Where does his life go after college in terms of his professional existence? He got a job uh, as a civilian contractor with the Navy. Um, ended up in uh, the Norfolk, Virginia Beach area, which is, anyone knows, ever in that area, it's, I mean, it's, it's Navy Central. Um, and uh, Ellen became a family counselor. He and Ellen raised four kids. I mean, they had a role. This was the dream life. But then in 2007, uh, Scott was 47 at the time, and uh, he had to have a heart valve replacement surgery. And it was supposed to be very routine. 
Uh, the surgery went fine, but within a few days, he just started getting sicker and sicker. And uh, it was scary. They did the operation on a Friday, came home on a Tuesday, went back on the Thursday. Something wasn't right, I was sick. And the doctors could not figure out what was wrong, but his organs were shutting down. They couldn't figure out what in the world was wrong with him. We had about 12 doctors trying to diagnose what's going on. And they had tried many different things, but his kidneys and his, his liver were just going worse and worse. The wheels started falling off. I had organs starting to shut down, and the doctors were perplexed. Ellen did a great job of protecting me. I do remember at one point, I asked her, am I gonna die? Wait, so this mystery, uh, how, how did it get solved? What was happening to Scott? It took a dozen doctors, and they had to dig into medical journals, and they had to reach out to doctors around the world. And ultimately, uh, the diagnosis they came up with was catastrophic anti-phospholipid syndrome. It's CAPS, for short. And, and, the, and the short version is needed because catastrophic antiphospholipid syndrome yep. is both a mouthful and something I know nothing about. And, and neither of these doctors. This disease was so rare, at the time, it had only been diagnosed 400 times ever in history. Mm. But for some unknown reason, his heart valve surgery had triggered this condition. And basically what happens is, is that there are these tiny, I mean, the tiniest microscopic clots that start to form in the blood. And that clotting, I mean, it's no different than, you know, the pipes in your home being clogged. These little microscopic clots start gathering up and they start blocking paths throughout the body, you know, everywhere the blood goes. So the organs are literally choked to death and his major organ systems particularly uh, his liver and his, and his kidneys, they just started shutting down. And so this is clearly a, a, a disease with lethal implications. And so how do you even begin to treat something so dangerous and so rare? So once it was diagnosed, uh, it became this regimen of steroids and plasma replacement and immunity boosters. And at Johns Hopkins, they had an experimental treatment for CAPS that they were working on. The problem was he had suffered a complete kidney failure. Mm. And so he spent two years on dialysis. And, um, and anyone who knows the inner workings of the organ donation maze um, knows that that's, that's a long wait. And he spent two years waiting on a transplant while he was uh, doing dialysis. And so how does one go about navigating the maze? I mean, it's one thing to survive a thing that only 400 people ever on the planet had had dealt with, and, but then to play the odds again and, and find your match, how does that go? Well, people will tell you there are hundreds of thousands of people on the kidney donation list. And so you just wait and you hope. And the only you know, fast path through this is if you can find a donor who is a match that you find yourself. And later in that year, uh, in 2007, a man named Bucky Blanton uh, moved to Norfolk and joined the park's church. 
I walk into the Sunday school class where he was teaching and um, they were sitting there talking about, you know, going to get tested for who's going to be a match to give me a kidney. And I was like, I'll go get tested. I said, like that? You make a decision to be, a, be a, to give up an organ? He said, for you? I said, yeah. He said, I'll do it. Can I go tomorrow? I knew that somebody was going to step up. Somebody was going to be there for him. Somebody was going to... was going to save his life. I just didn't know that person was going to be me. Blanton was a perfect match. And so the procedure took place on July 13th of 2009. I woke up and I rolled over and Ellen and Dr. Montgomery, the transplant surgeon, were standing there. And he came over and said, uh, congratulations. I said, for what? He said, you're a pioneer. How's that? He said, you're the first person in the world to have a transplant with caps. It's never been done before. Wait, wait, wait. This, this title, first person in the world to, to ever have a transplant who has caps, this is, this is the first time it's ever happened in the history of planet Earth. Yeah. And so all of these medical journals that the doctors had gone to, desperately trying to figure out what Scott originally had, now they're writing stories about Scott. In the <laughs> New England Journal of Medicine, there was a story about Scott Park receiving this transplant with caps. Then here's Scott, and this is all you need to know about Scott Park. When he's told this, his reaction is, well, this is going to be great because now we know it can be done and this will help the next person. New ground's broken. New lives can be changed. New lives can be saved. Man. And so Scott Park, newfound medical miracle, a guy who benefits from the new dude who shows up at church one day. Is this how, yeah, the it all resolves that this is the end. Here it is, Scott, you're, you're saved. You're home free. No. Um, and he knew that. I mean, for the rest of his life, Scott had been told, you know, as long as you're here on earth, you're going to have to come to Johns Hopkins every other week to receive treatment to keep the blood from clotting again. So he and Ellen would load up the car, drive five hours from Norfolk to Baltimore. Uh, he would receive his treatments and then he would make the five-hour drive back home. And he also had to take nearly 40 pills every single day. But it worked. And, you know, yes, there was the hassle of going to Johns Hopkins. But he also, his life returned to as normal as it was ever going to return to until one night in February of 2015. We're watching basketball together, um, and during halftime, it comes up on on TV, it says, register for Haviland's uh, half-court million-dollar shoot or something like that, and you can win a trip to all expense paid to the ACC tournament, and all you have to do is text this number in. And so I said, let's do that. Guy called me on a Thursday. He said, you're our grand prize winner. Take a million-dollar shot, half-court shot. And uh, I said, well, God, that sounds good. We just found a, a local park, and, and so he could just shoot a couple times and see. And we already knew that 
it would be a miracle if it was to go all the way. I mean, it would be a miracle for anybody to get it in. I thought about, you know, maybe I should tell them I, I really shouldn't do this, but that'd be quitting. And uh, Jimmy V said, don't give up. So I, I don't think I'm gonna give up. After the break, Scott Park takes his million dollar shot. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So, McGee, we are now back at the 2015 ACC tournament in Greensboro, where we started this whole show off. And this is where Scott Park became known to millions upon millions of people on the internet because he takes two dribbles, he sort of winds up, and with both hands, he pushes this shot as hard as he possibly can only for everybody to point and laugh as the ball just barely grazes the free throw line. And, and now, of course, we know that that specific trajectory was a function of this extremely rare disease that Scott had been fighting for years, undergoing intensive treatment that was also weakening him, taking away his strength and obviously his shot. But I'm curious what Scott himself remembers from that moment. What did he take away from being in front of this entire coliseum of people that he got to stand on the court that he had a he, he had a he had all expenses paid trip to the Atlantic Coast Conference tournament in Greensboro I mean this is the dream I do remember getting out on the middle of the court and and thinking boy these lights are bright man this is this is where it really happens this is where they really play ball this guy loves college basketball. He doesn't just love college basketball. He loves Tobacco Road college basketball. And so, yeah, I mean, forget the shot, man. In his mind and in the world that he grew up in, it was as good as a million dollars to be standing on the court in Greensboro in the middle of the greatest conference tournament in the world. Scott, when you are ready, take your shot for $1 million. What I heard was the awe. I heard some booze in the background, and really, it just kind of made me laugh. Uh, they don't know. They don't know my circumstance. And that brings us back to my buddy Ryan Fagan, the reporter. Yes, who took the video, and I mean, like everyone else, uh. except for you know Scott and Ellen. No one else in the arena, and that included Ryan Fagan, had no idea about Scott's story. I had no idea. I mean, obviously, I had no idea. I wouldn't have done it if I had any idea. So Ryan Fagan is standing backstage, essentially. He's in the tunnel in Greensboro, waiting to do his post-game interviews. 
and he's just looking at his phone. And the numbers of the people watching this video on Vine, the six seconds over and over and over, it's hundreds and it's thousands and it's hundreds of thousands and it's getting into the millions. And Ryan starts checking his email and he starts receiving emails from friends of the Park family back in Virginia. And the first one that he read and the one that caused him to change direction on this entire story was from a man named Doug Montgomery. To see all the comments online and seeing people just kind of, you know, pile on, I just felt like somebody had to say something to, to stand up for Scott. I just sent a simple two-line email that there was more to the story than what a simple headline or a bunch of social media responses knew about. Yeah, I would feel I would feel awful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if yeah. this is, at one point I'm yeah. thrilled with my engagement, yeah, <laughs> with my own personal uh, traffic numbers, and then I am I am feeling about as bad as you could imagine that this is the guy I'm doing it to. Yeah, and and you know this, um, I get frustrated in the press box sometimes because I look up and down press row, and like you know the national championship game is happening right in front of us and everyone's got their heads down because they're having a snark contest, right? Yep. Who can who can fire off the, you know, the funniest, you know, smart-ass comment in the middle of the game on social we're media? We're all shooting. We're, we're all, all no, shooting we're from there. half we're all court. There. No, no, we're all, we've all been there. And so Ryan Fagan was no different than the rest of us. And he's a funny guy. And he's also has a huge heart. And so everything that he starts to read, particularly that email from Doug Montgomery and then another and another, um, that big heart of Ryan Fagan's says, I have to make this story right. Once I got that first email, I felt awful. And I knew that something had to happen. I had to try to do something to make it right. He apologized. I told him, don't worry about it, about what he said. We're all square. There's obviously so much more to everything that we see on the surface. Uh, sometimes in cases like Scott's, it's this great, inspiring story that you would have never expected to come about the way it did. And so Ryan Fagan, the good guy that he is, he writes the story that he feels he should have written. And this is the story of Scott Park and the life that, that I and the rest of the internet, uh, we knew nothing about. And so you and our friends at E60, you guys decide, hey, uh, this is a great TV piece. This is a three-act structure. There's a big reveal. There's a lesson learned. And all you got to do is, is film the kicker, right? And so what happens? Yeah. Uh, I flew to Norfolk. Uh, we had an entire crew from E60 flew to Norfolk the very next week. And we shot with Scott and Ellen in their house. Um, the NCAA tournament is starting. NC State has made a run into that tournament. Uh, who are they playing? Uh, they're playing LSU, who, by the way, is Bucky Blanton's favorite team. Uh, the <laughs> guy who donated you know, Scott his kidney. So they're watching the game together. Watch this shot. He's, uh, he jumped from the middle of the lane. Yeah, I know. Watch this. He that shot that from his chest. I know, that, was, that was crazy. Catch. Uh, NC State wins the game with a, with a shot at the buzzer. Got to get something. Come on, Lacey. Eight seconds left. Dribble, drive into the lane. Shot pick. Now gets it off. Anya, turn around. Anya, Ram, it's good. Yes! One tip. That's it. 
That was woo! I mean, it's perfect. They're talking smack. Come on, man. I know that breaks your heart. I know it does. I'd be dying right now. I feel your pain. I'm feeling happy, but I'm feeling your pain. Scott's, you know, all Bucky, I'm sorry, man. I feel your pain. I mean, all this stuff. It was perfect. How about that wolf pack? How about that wolf pack? How about that wolf pack? I mean, it's one of those things where you, you walk all, you all walk into the driveway and look at each other and go, that is some fantastic television that we are going to make right here because that was, <laughs> you, you can't make it up. The moment's real and it is what it is. We just have to not, you know, mess it up. We have the perfect ending for an inspiring 15-minute television feature. Unfortunately, um, life is not a 15-minute television feature. And if Scott Park has taught us anything, uh, there is always more to the story. Coming up, the rest of the story. Shopping for Father's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Father's Day. Whether you're shopping for your brother's first Father's Day or your Renaissance man grandpa, whose interests, of course, are all over the map, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate them both. You can shop by price, anywhere from $25 and under to $100 and over. You can also sort by category, like cologne, watches, and more. Or gift lists for items like, I don't know, your grill master or golfer in your life. You can also get top tech. From Beats headphones to JBL portable speakers. Or if you're looking for top brands, you'll find gifts from Calvin Klein, Polo Ralph Lauren, and Columbia. So what are you waiting for? Father's Day is June 16th and we'll be here before you know it. Macy's offers the ultimate gift guide to making selecting something special for dad incredibly easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time, or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So, beginning, we just, <laughs> we just left off with you at Scott Park's house getting... Getting just the the capper, right? Like uh, the icing on the cake, the spontaneous, perfect ending on film, NC State winning on a last second shot. The symmetry is 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 golden, okay? And what happens next? Well, what happens next is that uh, the real world takes over, and we're in the process of editing this soon to be award winning story. We're convinced. And we're excited to bring Scott's story. And we want to get it out there because we want to bring it to the biggest audience possible. They're still laughing at Scott. And we want to get it out there to tell the story. Mm -hmm. But things start happening. And the NCAA tournament starts rolling. 
and Duke wins a championship and Wisconsin makes a run to the title game and this thing happens and that thing happens and, I don't know, NFL, Combine, whatever, mm. store never runs. And this happens all the time. Yep, yep. You know, we were not able to finish it by the end of the college basketball season. And I'm not happy, but at the same time, I'm thinking, you know what? <laughs> it's cool. We'll run it a year from now. You know, maybe on the one-year anniversary of this shot. Maybe during next year's ACC tournament. You know, we do that all the time. I have to sit on a story. And now maybe this is give us the gift. We, we can do it right, you know, instead of rushing it. That's what we told ourselves anyway. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, a few months after we met with Scott, he got sick again. And, and this time, how sick are we talking, McGee? Really sick. You know, these microscopic blood clots that we were talking about that had attacked these other organs and that had shut down his kidneys and that had damaged his liver. Uh, now those blood clots were attacking his brain. And Scott was, uh, I, he couldn't get out of bed. He couldn't communicate. You know, we had a camera with Scott and he was, I mean, he looked terrible and it was heartbreaking. And the video of Ellen, she's in essentially a hazmat suit in, in scrubs because they're trying to keep the room as clean as possible. Because of the rareness of his blood disorder, there really isn't a whole lot of predictions. But Scott is a, he's obviously he's stayed alive through it all. He's a fighter. And when I saw the footage sitting at my computer at home, I just had big tears in my eyes because I thought that jovial man that we saw in Norfolk was gone and the doctors told Ellen and told his four kids just to prepare themselves for the worst. And uh, they were in the process of saying their goodbyes, but Scott was not ready to say goodbye yet. He fought back. And next thing you know, uh, he can't walk. He's lost the use of his right arm. And I show up at Johns Hopkins and he's like, hey, McGee. And I, I, I didn't know what to say. And I interviewed him sitting next to his bed uh, after I thought I had said goodbye to him. Tell everybody, how are you doing? Doing great. Uh, I, I think overall doing great. You're still watching the wolf pack, I assume. You got that right. How's that going? Well, uh, don't doesn't seem like they've gotten very far, <laughs> but I'm still pulling for them. And so just to clarify here, this is 2016 now. This is a year after he missed that half-court shot. This is when the story finally gets to run on ESPN. And when it gets out there, what was the reaction like? It was... It was unbelievable. It was overwhelming. And it wasn't just, you know, this national reaction or, you know, people just being inspired. You know who was inspired? The 1983 NC State Wolfpack. Uh, Derek Wittenberg, um, who, by the way, fired what was essentially a half-court shot that came up short (laughs) that Lorenzo Charles slammed home to to win the game against Houston. Um, Derek Wittenberg came in and visited Scott uh, at the hospital. And, um, 
people around the nation were responding. Uh, they sent him messages. They sent him flowers. Uh, they apologized to him uh, for laughing at him one year earlier. And uh, and I think what everyone learned was was um, you know, a lesson that I think we could still learn today, particularly when it comes to social media, which is don't be so quick to judge. You know, my wife says all the time to my daughter, you don't know what's going on in someone else's house. And we certainly didn't know what was going on in Scott Park's house. The people who laughed at him in Greensboro didn't know. And now it was out there. And, uh, and Scott took great pride in that. And he let everyone know, I'm not mad at you, but maybe be nicer to the next guy. If it took a missed shot, if it took just a little bit of online embarrassment to get this story out there, it was worth it, right? Absolutely. Count me in, let's do it again. Yes, sir. And so this, McGee, is where I do need to bring us up to the present because it's been almost exactly eight years now since Scott Park's half-court shot. And so what's the latest with him? Well, you know, it's interesting because you work on stories and you and I both are fortunate to have worked on a lot of amazing stories in our careers. And they're the ones that you become attached to. And it's because you like the subject or it's because you're inspired by it. I just like Scott Park. Um, I felt a connection with Scott Park from the beginning, probably because of our similar upbringings, probably because of our you know, similar love for the NC State Wolfpack growing up. And then they were talking to him again and we would receive videos from Ellen of Scott walking with assistance and Scott being recognized on the floor of the Virginia State House um, and all these inspiring moments. Go Wolfpack. I love you. I love you. <laughs> and Alan says it all the time. He, he refused to believe that he was going to die. You can't give up. Just don't. Just can't. Just can't give up. But eventually, the toll of all this was just too much. And we received word at the end of January of this year that Scott had passed away at the age of 64. But what I keep reminding everyone is that is as sad as it is, and the world is worse off without Scott Park in it. But when we started doing this story initially, no one knew his story, and now millions of people know it. And uh, gosh, you know, what an impact. No, I mean, McGee, this is a story about, <laughs> a story about so many things that all of us should be able to see ourselves in. It's a story about the internet, about fandom, about being a regular dude who winds up having an outsized impact on people. Uh, it, it feels like this is something that is clearly, yeah, this is a thing that you will be remembering for a really long time. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of people will. And, and you know, your initial reaction is, man, that's sad. But if you ever talk to Scott, he wasn't sad. He didn't see his story as sad. He saw it 
as a chance to connect with people, as a chance for people to learn a lesson, and as a chance to maybe save lives beyond his own and certainly inspire people. And, you know, this is a guy who, you know, he went to NC State. He saw his team win a national championship. You can see the time. Wittenberg. Oh, it's a long way. It's they won it. On the dunk. He married the love of his life. He had four kids, three grandkids. He was a pillar of his community, a pillar of his church. And, you know, he got a, he got, he won a contest to go to the Greensboro Coliseum, all expenses paid to the ACC tournament, and had a chance to win a million dollars from half court. And he didn't win the million dollars, <laughs> but I think that his impact was worth way more than that. Ryan McGee, thank you for telling us his story. Thank you, Pablo, and thank you, Scott. For more on Scott Park, you can watch an updated version of Ryan McGee's story this weekend on the Outside the Lines segment of SportsCenter. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.